Set a spark to your integrated business and marketing strategies with America's top entrepreneurs and business leaders here at Integrate and Ignite with your host, Lori Jones. Welcome to the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Mike Krass is the CEO of MKG Marketing. Over the last 10 years, Mike has grown MKG into a seven-figure business, not only by specializing in data and analytics, but by embracing a people-first philosophy that promotes a strong work-life balance while systematically holding employees as well as clients accountable. Mike takes this philosophy with him as he sits on the board of directors of the Global Entrepreneurs Organization, as well as mentoring other businesses through organizations such as Idea Village and the General Assembly. We're so excited to have Mike on the show today to talk about the best way to hire and engage an agency. Welcome to the INI podcast, Mike. Thanks for having me on. I tell you, I'm so excited to talk shop today. Mike and I, of course, as you all, our listeners know, we're both agency owners. And the topic is such an interesting one as so many companies out there contemplate what they're going to do for their next agency move. Are they going to hire an integrated firm? Are they going to hire a specialized firm? Or are they going to build out their own infrastructure in-house? We're going to dive into all those details today. Before we get there, Mike, tell us a little bit more about your journey and just what makes you so special. Well, in terms of my journey... I started in the agency world on the West Coast of the United States and working at agencies in Los Angeles as well as Seattle. And it was a big aha moment in Seattle working at an agency there with my now business partner, Carrie Gard. And her and I were working together on this big project. And it was this global communications and electronics firm that had all these new products that they were releasing. And we really did not do a good job of drilling into what does success look like, not just for our existing stakeholders here in North America, but for the global folks as well. And so we definitely uh, kind of got ourselves in a little bit of hot water at the end of that program as they invested a significant amount of money. And I still remember that conversation that we had with their German country manager when he asked, how many units did we sell? And we didn't have that clarity across, we had it in North America, but not across the globe of this actually wasn't a direct response or a sales campaign. This was more of a big, splashy, creative opportunity to share your products with a global audience in the holiday season, you know, at the end of the year. That was not an answer he wanted to hear. And so anyways, moving past that story, Harry <laughs> and I looked at each other in that moment. And we just said, you know what? We never want to be caught flat-footed with that. Even if we're doing brand building or brand awareness work for our clients, we never want to get in a situation where that brand building is not laddering up to a larger economic objective. And so that's when we started in our minds right that moment. We actually started MKG Marketing, even though it took a little bit to get it off the ground. Now we, as you mentioned, are a specialist agency. We provide digital marketing services to growing technology and healthcare brands. So that's kind of who we like to work with. And you know, uh, something that I love about your personal journey is the accountability factor. And I think so many individuals out there, we're not going to stay on this topic long, but I have to get it off my chest. So many individuals out there leave a situation because they think they can do it better. They've got a better idea. They're not willing to put in the blood, sweat, and tears. I mean, it's the e-myth, right? 
they don't have the business savvy to start their own organization and they just know that they can do it better. They go out on their own and it's like, oh my gosh, what was I thinking? I can't survive. And it's typically, you know, a lot of creatives you find, okay, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing, but they end up being a graphic design firm or they end up being an isolationist with, you know, content only writing or something very, very vertical. And at the end of the day, what's lost in that situation is the strategy. They become a tactical implementer instead of a true strategic partner. And I think that is something that you've illustrated through the reason why you left was the accountability factor that gets lost in a lot of these decisions. And I really respect you for taking the lead, knowing that that is what was driving you, not I can just do it better. Yeah, I would also add to that Thank you for that compliment. My mother raised me to say thank you. (laughs) So got to make her proud. Yeah. I would add to that statement that we had a healthy dose of ignorance. Mm. And that ignorance was actually an asset for us at the time because we weren't even thinking about how are we going to bill our clients and what are we going to charge and how will we find clients? We really just thought, you know, I had this idea of how we would love this to work. Mm-hmm. current agency we were at, which is still a fantastic functioning agency, just wasn't going in that direction. Right. And so it wasn't a, we can do it better. Like you said, Lori, it was more of a, we can do it period. And we're just ignorant enough to try it. Yeah. And I, love I think it. if we had known what we know now, we, we might not have made that jump so quickly. Well, at the end of the day, agencies get hired knowing that transparency and trust is the hallmark of how we operate our businesses. And so we're going to roll up our sleeves and get into some more detail about what you need to look at, audience, uh, when hiring an agency. Let's just go back to the basics here for a second. What are some key concepts or an big idea here that you can provide our audience on when to know when to hire an agency? Sure. We tend to see a couple key themes pop up. Uh, when folks are looking to hire an agency. The first one is, let's go back to accountability. Do you actually have an organizational structure that allows you to manage a deep bench of marketing talent at your company? I actually just had a conversation yesterday with somebody and he said, you know, if I could build any perfect marketing department, it would be about 10 to 12 people. So let's use his example. Let's call it 12. Do you have the infrastructure within your business to manage 12 people? Or even if you're a small business, do you have the infrastructure to manage one person on a daily basis? We tend to look at it as, are you actually ready as a business? You could be hiring anything, finance, ops, marketing, whatever. But do you actually have the infrastructure to manage this successfully? The second key theme that pops up is, can you actually find this person? In the world of digital marketing, there's a lot of people. Some are generalists, some are experienced, some are inexperienced. Some are specialists. They're kind of all over the place. But can you actually find the right person for your company? And we actually have been in sales conversations with brands where they just said, we asked them point blank, why don't you bring this in-house? And they said, can't find them. Can't find the person. So that's really what an agency brings to the table is a bench of people that you can, depending on the economic model of the firm, you can kind of air quotes, turn them on or off based on what you need. The other thing that you tend to see, because I know you have a lot of mid-sized business folks listening to your show, is headcount. Are you allowed to hire somebody? That's another common thing that we hear with mid-sized businesses that are growing, where they say, 
our controller gave us permission to hire two people. I have five people's worth of work. Yeah. Uh, I can go hire an agency for the other three, but I, I can't hire five in-house. It's literally not allowed. So those are three things that tend to pop up immediately based on your size of business. And I would say, again, the mid-sized business tends to have more of the second and third happen where the small business owner doesn't quite think about the cost, not just financial, but other costs of managing somebody to help them out with marketing and advertising. Right. And you know, we're going to talk about accountability a lot on this show today. And one thing that I think is very interesting in establishing the need for an outside agency that really does tie into that, it's the experience that leads to true accountability and knowing what should be a part of an integrated mix versus what should not. Again, you know, the topic of do we need a broad brushed approach or is it only a vertical approach such as digital? And what we see quite often are the subject matter experts within the agency realm because they live and breathe that each and every day know so much more. They truly are an SME versus someone who's dabbled in it, a particular vertical, you know, here and there. The other point along with that SME becomes an incredible amount of expertise on that given topic to build that trust, that transparency, that accountability that we know we need. The other thing is the agency perspective allows brands to think outside of the box more often, I think, and be more creative because they aren't in the trenches working on it day in and day out. They've got outside influences, you know, e.g. other pieces of business that allow them just to think that much differently, that it helps come up with those bigger and brighter ideas that truly can differentiate in the long run. Absolutely. And I actually heard from a friend of mine who we're, we're trying to start working with pretty soon. He just started a new job. And on the topic of an outside voice, uh, my words, not yours, but an outside voice, he said, I've been talking about these search marketing principles here for three months now and I'm getting nowhere. Yeah. What I have learned is that if there is a dollar amount attached to an initial consultation, even if it's just a one-hour meeting where we pay you for that, the way that this company works, and it's not uncommon, actually, it's a very common thing to hear. The way this company works is that they will see you as an expert because we are paying for it. It's, mm -hmm. He said it's a little bit infuriating. You know, He's kind of a senior director. So he said, I, I understand the behaviors that are happening here. I don't like them, but I, I understand what's happening. And I understand that I need to bring a third party in from the outside to help validate a lot of what I've been saying and add a little bit more icing on top of you know expertise that I don't even have that you could kind of add on top. Right. You know, and trust is a big issue. And there are definitely agencies out there that give a lot of great agencies a bad name. Either they're not trustworthy from a pricing standpoint, they're truly overcharging, they miss a deadline, and they don't take ownership of it. Whatever the case might be, there are dozens of different reasons you know, dirty the waters for those very, very high level, strategic, accountable, truthful, high integrity firms that are out there. So let's talk about trust a little bit and really understand more deeply how brands should really level the playing field when it comes to trust and the importance of it when making a quote unquote buying decision. Yeah. Well, if we're talking about in the buying decision making process, 
I look at trust in the similar way that I look at building willpower. I forget who I heard this from originally. Mm -hmm. So source unknown, but it's not a mic original, I promise. (laughs) Uh, Building willpower is doing things that you say you're going to do. When you're at the gym, you do 10 crunches because you said you were going to do 10 crunches. If you get up early to get your day started, you get up early, even if every bone in your body is screaming, get back in bed. Those are instances where you build willpower. And I look at trust the same way as we are working with the brand to figure out if we are going to bring them on as a client. When I say, hey, we're going to get you the ABC deliverable to help in your decision-making process by the end of the day today, it better be there by the end of the day today. Right. Trust goes both ways. When you say, as a brand, we're looking to make a decision by Friday afternoon, and then Monday comes, and Tuesday comes, and Wednesday comes, and we're kind of following up, and we're trying not to be rude, or get into your business unnecessarily. We're just trying to figure out, like you said Friday and it's no longer Friday. So I look at building trust from the very first moment you meet and do you deliver things when you say you're going to deliver them? Another instance of building trust in the buying journey for a brand is, are we being honest with you about what we will not do or what we are not good at? There's actually a laundry list of things that our agency and our sales guy, Andre, knows to say, knows to say them. Oh, I heard you wanted copywriting for email. We do not have a practice around email marketing here at MKG Marketing. So could we do the copywriting? Sure. But I just want you to know, I want to be upfront, that you can probably actually find a better copywriter out there. If you love us so much that you want to pay us to do it, that's your business. And we're happy to, to support you. But we want to be really clear up front. And... With the rise of a lot of specialist agencies, I think that's become more common. You know, maybe a decade ago, you would see a lot of agencies just say, yeah, sure, we can totally do that. Mm -hmm. And it was just yes to everything. And they got themselves in trouble. We got ourselves in trouble when we started trying to do that. We tried to do all this back-end web design stuff because we had one part-time resource to support it. And then the best and the worst thing happened. A whole bunch of our clients bought it. So when you're talking about a quarter of a person's time and everyone's wanting it, now we're in trouble and and we were breaking a lot of agreements. We had to have some pretty tough discussions with those clients. So I look at trust in those ways of, are you doing what you say you'll do when you say you're going to do it? Will you tell me what you can't do well so that I can make an informed decision? And the other moment of building trust, I'll skip forward to when something goes wrong. So you're already working with each other. Right. Am I coming to you? I'm playing the brand manager here. Do I have to come to you and make this awkward conversation happen? Or are you going to come to me? Are you going to be woman or man enough, right? And have the integrity to initiate what is going to be a really awful conversation? Or do I have to do all that heavy lifting too? Which once brands and clients start thinking that way, they're like, well, what else am I driving here that I'm supposed to be paying you to do? And that's really hard to earn that trust back. Well said. And what you've defined here is good communication, right? And whether it be, you know, if the client is going to miss a deadline, letting them know about it, if you're going to have to shift a deadline, letting the client know about it, but also owning the mistakes. We as agency leaders need to instill that in our own teams, right? Own it, be transparent about it. And let us know as quickly as something happens so that we can communicate that to the client, but not tossing it off to someone else. 
you know, those agency individuals who typically don't succeed will weed themselves out because of that very thing. I would agree with that. They tend to have trouble with client retention. They have trouble with employee retention because nobody likes shuffling through clients, you know, when that's, right. that's a revolving door. The other thing I might mention on the topic of trust, and it's related to communication, is communicating the awareness of your position within whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example. You know, we do a lot of search engine optimization for our clients. We do not have a full-time, we use a, a partner to do this now actually, but we do not have a full-time web developer on staff. So for years, we kept getting in front of the web and IT teams at our clients. And they look at this as like, okay, SEO is important, but I also have 9,000 things on my to-do list. This is probably in the 8,000 range in terms of importance, right? Right. Um, like our website functioning and you know orders going through, like that's pretty important. This is not so much. And I remember what happened, this actually happened in the past year, is we presented a whole bunch of technical opportunities for improvement, but we didn't go deep enough. I think we had actually run out of time. So again, we should have communicated we needed more time on the mm-hmm. project. But we communicated things like that Google gives you, such as you know minimize your use of JavaScript on these pages. And when a web developer looks at that, they're like, okay, how do you plan to do that? Like, we've got JavaScript everywhere on this website. What the heck do you actually want me to do here? Right. And I listened to that call recording every once in a while because he actually kind of started going on a rant. It was very disorganized and it wasn't aimed at us, but he actually spilled his guts to us in a really vulnerable and what ended up being positive way. And he said, I've been in you know web engineering for 15 years I continue to get these reports from all these different SEO agencies that tell me to minimize my JavaScript. And I ask them, how do you want me to minimize a JavaScript? Like, do you understand our content management system? Do you understand all the things that are tied together through style sheets and other little bits of how our digital presence actually works? He kind of went off and what he was saying was, I've basically been receiving spreadsheet reports telling me to get JavaScript down with no solution for 15 years now. Wow. And our account director on that account, I'm so proud of him. He took a moment. It was, you know, 10 people on the call. And he said, we'll make up a name. So he said, Gerald, I'm aware right now that this has been a problem for you for almost two decades. Yes, that's right. This has been a problem for two decades. And it's nothing against you. I like your team. But if you give me one of these things again, I don't know what to do with this. Like, you need to come and actually bring me something that's useful that I can execute on. And if that means we need to get more money so you can get a part-time web dev in here to translate this for me, great. But don't ever bring this to me again. That sentence, don't ever bring this to me again, sounds so harsh, but it's just very real. He was just saying like, here is how you can make me do work for you that will benefit our organization. And if the current behavior continues, I cannot work with you. And we're actually in a point where we just connected with that client the other day with Gerald. And he was like, so much better. Like, I can execute on all these things. We went from getting nothing done to getting everything done almost overnight by just having that awareness of his experience and where he came from and all the bad and all the good. And then just saying, hey, I'm aware that this has been an issue for you for a long time. And I'm not sure how we're going to fix it today, but let's talk about fixing it. Let's find out what that solution looks like. And the point being is he's looking to you to see how you're going to solve the problem. 
instead of not owning it, walking away from it, throwing your hands up in the air. And all of us have the opportunity to gain such respect from our clients when we own the issue and we solve it. Things are going to happen, right? Some things we have in our control and others we don't, you know, similar to this. And figuring it out and being transparent about it is the key. You know, as people begin to, as they're growing their own organization or as they're transitioning from their first larger agency experience, there are definitely some key elements that they need to think about, you know, whether or not they want to work with an agency or not. And we're going to talk through some of those key elements right now. And the first one is media pricing. That is all across the board right now, whether or not, you know, the 50% agency increase is still on the table with some firms. You know, we sell all of our media at cost, but the client pays it directly. If we're going to pay for it out of our own pocket, then there's a slight fee attached to it. And our clients need to pay us in advance of the cost being incurred. What are some tips that you have for our audience today on what they should be looking at regarding that topic? Sure. We operate similar to your firm in the fact that we ask our clients to pay direct. So there is that clear line of, hey, there is no markup here. We don't markup media. It's, again, sold at cost. And some of the questions that I generally counsel brand managers to use are, can I see my invoices? Am I going to own the actual ad accounts that media will be run out of? This is becoming less of a problem here in 2021. But even as recently as a few years ago, this used to be everywhere where the agency would create a Google Ads account on behalf of the client own it. And then there was not a clear boundary around data ownership. So if they walked away from the agency, I watched tons of agencies just say, well, that's our property. Right. We made that for you. And the client was looking at them like, what? Like, yeah, you did I what agree. For me? Yeah. But there's no legal action they could even take. Even if they wanted to take them to court, there's nothing you can do. So, you know, who's owning accounts? How will I see my invoices? And then another question that I generally advise is, are there any conflicts of interest that I need to be aware of, right? Are you going to place me on Google ads because they take you on a deep sea fishing trip in the Gulf of Mexico every summer? I agree. And LinkedIn doesn't, you know, they don't swing that way, right? They just say, we sell ads, not Mm -hmm. fishing trips. Yeah. And again, becoming, I think, less of an issue as the years pass, but it still happens a lot, you'd be surprised that there might be, you know, what I'm referencing there is it's a conflict of interest, but there's also um, almost like a fiduciary duty, like a financial planner has to do what's in the best interest of the client, not what's in the best interest of any other parties involved in the transaction. Right. I think those are all great tidbits of information. One element that is on the mind, not only of every agency owner and agency employee, but every marketer out there is GDPR and the opt-in ownership and how that gets transferred to a new system. If it's a different system, what are you advising clients on there? Yeah, what we're what we're seeing is, and I, I'm laughing because we're seeing good and bad from our clients. We're still on occasion, I still see an email of a whole bunch of contact data come out of Marketo or HubSpot or Salesforce and get emailed to us from a client. I'm like, oh my gosh. I oh my know, gosh. I know. <laughs> oh. Like no, no direct download link with a password or, you know, 
even if it's just stored in Dropbox, so you've got to hit the download link with permission to view it, like that's a, a million times past, you know, just putting a ton of personally identifiable info into an email. Um, right. So we're, we're still seeing quite a bit of that because everyone's kind of been trained for years to just throw it in an email. Yeah. What we're trying to do with most of our clients is get direct access to the systems that they're using. And it can sound easy, like, yeah, it'll just give you a, my HubSpot login. But a lot of our clients are actually quite sensitive with that data and that access because you can get all kinds of financial data out of those systems. It's not just, I'm going to see some contact info. You're going to see financial data, forecasting data. If they're publicly traded, there's specific rules around what they can and can't share, right? Like we, we wouldn't want to be in an insider trading scenario because we're pulling a monthly report and happen to see that you've got a $10 billion a year with the deal with the U.S. Air Force pending and about to close, right? So we're trying to get access when it's available. And then we're really pushing them to use the technology that they invest in to send us more like automated reports with data. So, you know, Marketo and HubSpot and Salesforce and ActiveCampaign, all these different platforms out there, they all have to go through the process of being GDPR compliant. And then now there's the state ones, you know, like CCPA oh, in California, and crazy. New York is starting, everyone's going to have their own data yeah. privacy thing. They've already done all the hard work to handle data and to set up their systems to handle it appropriately. So I think kind of like the missed mark there is just, hey, they've already done the work. Just go with their processes in terms of handling data. On the use of data, then it, you know, it really just depends where you are. Are you in Europe? Are you in America? Are you in the state of California? You know, there's a lot of familiarity around those different laws based on physical location that we've had to learn. And there's a lot to do there. <laughs> yeah, there really is. And knowing just keeping the client engaged throughout the time period and letting them know as the information comes to you, <laughs> you are learning about it and executing it within your own systems. I, you know, hopefully regarding GDPR, hopefully you know, someone will step in, whether it be the FTC to regulate it on behalf of all states so that there's some consistency with it. So there is not that guesswork uh, from state to state on what you should and should not be doing. That to me is one of the biggest unknowns that we as marketers really need to stand behind and get figured out right away, because that could be you know incredibly detrimental to a lot of different companies out there and a total headache. There is no doubt about it. As you are you know, working through your hiring decision, we've just got a few minutes left here today. What are some quick onboarding tips that you have? Because I think that's where a lot of brands and agencies get it wrong. They don't onboard the agency correctly. And, you know, it's a two-way street. The agency doesn't set the expectations for onboarding as well. And so quite often you can get off on the wrong foot. Yeah. A few quick things. First one is roles of everyone involved. So I've seen with agencies where the salesperson is the main point of contact and, you know, the brand really falls in love with them. They like it. They like what they're hearing. They like this agency and what they think they can do. They sign a contract. And now we've gone from a sales motion to a fulfillment motion or actually fulfilling the work that's been contracted. And so the salesperson just says, okay, see you later. You know, here's an introduction to Lori. She's going to be your account director and have a great time. And Sometimes you don't even get that email. Sometimes it's, hi, I'm Lori. 
and I know we haven't met, which is such an odd way to start a working it relationship. Is. It's like, yeah. hi, I'm the guy next to you on the line at the subway. I know we haven't met, but now we have. It's like, okay, why, what? <laughs> so roles, I think, are really important here at MKG. We try and keep the business development person on the first couple calls just for historical context and institutional knowledge of the deal and what's been contracted. The other thing that we like to do, and this is a newer thing, so I'd like to say that we've been super smart and been doing this forever. We have not. This is newer for us, is we actually, in the kickoff call, have a brief. And it's not a project brief or a creative brief or a media brief. The brief is a few pages that just explains here's everything we've talked about so far at a high level, and here's what we agreed to, and here's who's in charge of this, that, or the other thing. You know, here's, here's who I go to for approvals, for example. So the brief is a tool where you can have it in writing that you can reference anywhere at any time. And I think by putting it in writing, it just is a really great way to make sure that you get off on a good foot. I think it's great. And as we close out today, I think one of uh, the very, very important aspects of this is if you are to do a comparison, you know, back to one of the originating points here, if you are to do a comparison about, you know, what a team of 12 would cost you and the HR costs, you know, the bonus costs, the so on and so forth. And quite frankly, the lack of vertical knowledge. If you are hiring subject matter experts to fill out a 12-person team within your own entity, it is going to cost you a lot of money. And I would bet that the agency fees would be maybe 60, 70% of that with the expertise that you truly do need. So at the end of the day, when you are comparing apples to apples, definitely remember that piece of it. Trust transparency is the key. Building trust is doing things you say you're going to do at the end of the day. Our focus has been there today. And Mike Krass, thank you so much for your appearance on the Integrate and Ignite podcast. Thank you. This is the end of the podcast. So to build some willpower, I'm going to sign off. Talk to you later. This episode is complete, but the inspiration has just begun. Head over to avocetcommunications.com for show notes and more aha moments. Tune in regularly to ignite your integrated business and marketing strategies with Lori Jones and the Integrate and Ignite podcast.